American democracy has reached a moment of existential uncertainty, with problems bigger than any one administration or headline. My name is James Walner, and I host the podcast Politics in Question with Lee Drutman and Julia Azari. On our show, we discuss how our political institutions are failing us, and we consider different ideas for fixing them. If you like this episode, you might enjoy Politics in Question. You can find that episode and the rest of our show on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and at our website, politicsinquestion.com. I'm hoping that the force of this pandemic has started to merge us, that we got more alike than different in our humanity, in our perspective. We need to stand together um, as brothers and sisters. And we want relationship more than ever now. We would be grateful and would love to just build fellowship in this community. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At The Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at The Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Thanks for joining us for Spiritual Lessons of a Pandemic with the God Squad. In this program, we consider if the challenges of the pandemic also may have allowed for some personal growth or even cultural growth. Are there ways that the trauma from the pandemic can actually make us better humans? That's what we'll talk about today with the God Squad. And this program is facilitated by Father Tim Holita of St. Thomas More Co. Cathedral. Father Tim will introduce you to the rest of the panel. So let's turn it over to him. Well, hello. Welcome to everybody. And um, it's great to be back here again. Um, I'm Father Tim. As I said, I'm from um, the Co. Cathedral of St. Thomas More, right across FSU's campus. And I want to introduce our panelists, and then we'll get into our topic. Uh, we have a, um, a couple that you may recognize, and we have somebody new joining us today, which we're excited to have. First, we have uh, Pastor Joe. Introduce yourself for us. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Joseph Davis, Senior Pastor of Truth Gatherers Dreams in the Church here in Tallahassee, also Overseer of Truth Gatherers Victorious Church in Monticello, Florida, and glad to be on the God Squad Village Square. Awesome. Awesome. Welcome. And Rabbi Shields. Rabbi Michael Shields from Temple Israel. And I'm just really excited because we all need to find our role in this grand divine symphony that we're all part of. And so I'm, I'm grateful to learn and be with you all. Man, yes. And Pastor Margaret Fox is, is first time, I believe, on the panel. Is that correct? That's right. If this were radio, I'd say, I'd say a longtime listener, first time caller. Uh, I'm, I'm Margaret Fox. I'm the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Tallahassee and just delighted to, to be with you guys today. Awesome. Welcome. It's amazing. I just returned from a, a trip to Washington with a bunch of students. And uh, about two years ago, when I went on that same trip, I, uh, we were participating in the March for Life. And, and it was right around the time that the, the Wuhan, uh, I saw that the city of Wuhan had been locked down. And it was something I had never heard of before. And I I, I said to, I was telling everybody on the bus, I said, I think, I think we got to prepare. This is going to, this thing's going to happen. And everybody, of course, thought I was out of my mind. Um, and I was like, wow, it's been two years. I can't believe it's been two years since all this started. And just so much has transpired and, and so much has happened. And I think um, it, it's been quite, you know, quite the experience. And so what we're going to kind of be talking about is, I mean, obviously, I think all of us have been through the ringer on this in some way. Um I've been advising people for the last two years to turn off the news for a little while and, and take a break from it. Cause I think it's just, it's really contributed to anxiety and stress and everything. And what we've been able to see, I think everybody could contribute on, on every side of this issue um, is the dark side of human nature is, is our topic says here, right? We, we can point out all the ways that we've seen failure and, and maybe not the best in humanity, but is there something else to see? Um, is there something transcendent? Is there something, is there empathy? Is there heroic self-sacrifice? Are there examples, something that we can look to, to really shine a bright light on this, this kind of dark time that we've kind of all been through in the last few years. 
So I really just want to open it up. Um, whoever would like to, to speak first and if you can give us some examples, I have a couple. I'm not, I'm going to moderate, but I'll, I'll probably contribute a little more than I normally would. Anybody like to uh, begin? Sure. Uh, Father Tim, uh, one of the lessons I'm seeing people, I guess, relearn um, is the importance of family. Um, I'm seeing that become back into the forefront of people's lives, people I've come in contact with, conversations uh, people have had because one thing the pandemic did for a lot of families, especially during holiday season, um, families did not get together as normal, especially two years ago or during the onset of this global pandemic. Families um, had to do Zoom technology and missing that physical touch, especially of families. It was one thing to say, okay, I, I, I don't have to see my, my boss every day. I don't have to see my coworkers every day. You know, so people's like, that's fine. I'll deal with that. You know, a lot of people said that's fine. I, I'll go home and work. And I heard great joys of coworkers and people who said, I don't want to ever want to come back to the office. But when it came to family, that became one of the greatest challenges of a lot of people. And I think how important family is um, came back to the top of priority uh, for people. So people are relearning family, relearning, taking time for family, not being so busy that family is not important. So um, I know I've had several conversations, my wife and I, people I know, even in our, our congregants, our congregants began to use even Sundays, not just for corporate worship, but also for family day. And I heard from several people in our congregation that was taking family more to heart um, because of this pandemic. And that's a win in spite of all the losses. Absolutely. Yeah, I can remember actually, I mean, just I think in general, taking things for granted became very apparent to me. I remember in the first weeks of all of this, walking around on campus and it was like a ghost town. It was so strange and so surreal to walk around and see like nobody around, nobody on the streets on a really normally busy place, busy street. And then realize like kind of the scariness of that or the darkness of it, but then realizing, you know, I can't believe I used to gather in that stadium with thousands and thousands of people. And I wouldn't even think twice about it. Right. Um, and realizing I can't wait till I get to do that again. I can't wait to be around my friends again. I can't wait to be in my congregation again. Um, and really realizing how good life is and how good that is to, to have the ability to have that, to have that. It's just not something we, I never thought I'd ever lose. It's not something I was ever prepared to, to be without. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else want to uh, contribute there? Sure. Unless, you know, Rabbi, if you've got, got something, I'll, I'll defer to a veteran. Please, Rabbi. Okay. Uh, I mean, to me, I think there's been this real rise of intentionality around how and why we gather. Um, it's not just things that we take for granted anymore. I mean, I think, I think Father Tim, you were talking about this a little bit in terms of, you know, going into a stadium and you think, you think nothing of it, you know, and, um, and now we have to be really deliberate about how we get together and, and why. Um, and that has been, you know, incredibly disruptive, but on the other side of that disruption has been a real chance to be deliberate in thinking, what is the purpose of this gathering, whether it's online or in person, um, and how do we set it up in such a way as to carry that purpose out? And we can't rely on our old forms anymore. <laughs> you know, so there, there's this sort of creativity that's imposed in some ways by the, the limitations around things. Um, I arrived here in Tallahassee just over a year ago, so I came mid-pandemic, and so I've been, I've, I've been trying to sort of lead the congregation back into a worship service that I've, I've never actually seen before, um, and so that's been a particular challenge here, and, and, you know, there's been a lot of difficulty around that, but at the same time, there's, there's also been an opportunity in that every time the worship team makes a decision about what piece of our worship service comes back next, there's a real attention to why around it. And, and in some ways, it's been this opportunity for real reflection and deliberateness about what are we doing when we come together for worship or for study or for service? And what's the form that'll best allow us to kind of carry that out? Um, and I, I would say, you know, there's there's plenty about it that's been disruptive. But if we're talking here about the, the, the good side of things, you know, there, there's been elements of that that have been really, um, I think, transformative and, and helpful in understanding why we, why we gather, what it is that we do together. So 
that I would say would be a silver lining of the, the pandemic. Yeah, you know, I would, I would add that I think, you know, one of my colleagues actually wrote that we've been served up this alphabet soup of unbearable bitterness, right? Variant flavors, right? Delta, Omicron, thick on our tongues. And, and so it's very present. And, and we have to also recognize that when you're in an ongoing trauma, you really can't process so well trauma until after it's over. But this is unique in that it's a ongoing two-year trauma and so I think sometimes we can help give each other a divine inspired smile or nudge to kind of get going, to see, as I said earlier, see that role in this symphony that's now gratefully made up of the great diversity of our faith community, but also people who find meaning through other avenues than faith. And, and this is God willing, a once in a lifetime occurrence. Um, it feels like it's on re repeat, but we are not in Groundhog Day, right? We have to remember that, that there are ways to break that cycle. And, but we still have to be very cognizant that we've learned adaptation and resilience. We've learned that it's possible to reimagine and reschedule everything. But you can't really reschedule grief. And that's something also to remember that we can look at the silver line, I'm all for that, but we also have to just have that deep compassion and love for our fellow human being and that their reactions to this time cannot be as dependable and just find that reservoir of, of just grace and love. I would agree. Um, to, to even keep that conversation going, Rabbi Shields, uh, I find that having empathy uh, became very inevitable or unavoidable. It was, it was global pandemic. It wasn't just United States. It was all over, all over. And um, it gave us, this thing still gives us the opportunity to consider the plight and the lifestyles of other people besides ourselves. It gives us a retrospective or a perspective, not just retrospective, but introspective on what other people are dealing with. So it's a divine opportunity for empathy and compassion and to lament what people go through, including ourselves, and recognize that um, we're, we're sharing this grief. We're sharing this, um, maybe at different levels, but we're sharing this grief um, together. And it gives an opportunity to lament um, for what other people go through, including ourselves. Hopefully it's been a time to reduce um, I guess this is positive, <laughs> uh, selfishness, you know, um, you know, whether you're wearing a mask or not, whether you're vaccine, uh, have been vaccinated or not, the, the premise of everything is be safe for you and me, right? That's the premise that's here. So it gives us an opportunity to empathize and respect each other uh, greater. Uh, I take care of myself, first of all, for me, but then for everybody else, I care about it for everyone else I love. So if I'm not feeling well, I don't risk it in this season because if I'm risking it for me, I'm risking it for other people. So that type of empathy where we have shared pain and shared grief, wow, I would never want to go through anything like this ever again. I, I don't know anything else that can have pushed us into a place of divine empathy where we really are almost forced to feel other people and think about other people at the same time when we're thinking about ourselves. So I think about this empathy, this lament for one another um, that's really been repeating, like Rabbi says, we don't repeat um, this constant need for empathy and respect for other people, including ourselves. Yeah, I'd like to say, I mean, one thing that, that I was very impressed with, um, a friend of mine actually shared this insight a while back, was if you remember at the beginning days, and they would show these images from across the world, and when they became our own country, it was a little more kind of jarring of, of big cities with zero people out, you know, streets that four-lane highways that normally are packed with cars with not a single car on there. I mean, it just looked like something out of a out of a, some kind of macabre post, you know, apocalyptic film or something. And, and I, it, those images were so jarring and, and, and frightening, frankly, it's just like, what is going on here? And, and how does this, what's this end game look like? And so on. And somebody had brought this up to me that, that those images were actually 
an image of 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 sacrifice. Um, and, it, and the reason the streets were empty, and the reason why people weren't out driving, and the reason why we were doing this yeah. was to care for one another. And to hear that was able to help me shift my my view of those images. Right, it no longer was not is not as frightening, um, but instead became a symbol of something really redeeming, um, something kind of beautiful, actually. Um, although it might be in a scary moment, but to see that, you know, look at how much the people are, are sacrificing. And I know we've, we've heard enough of, of people who didn't and so on, but I, I would say even in my own personal experience in my parish of, we have close to a thousand families here. And there have been some, some people on both sides of their perspective on this issue that have been pretty vocal and have made my life a little more difficult and our, and the rector's life a little more difficult, but the vast majority have not. And the vast majority have been very cooperative and, and, and understanding, I think, of us as pastors trying to protect people and try to navigate our way through all this, uh, through all the, the different viewpoints and data and everything else and try to, okay, what's the best way here? What is our responsibility to, to people, to safety, to society, to our God, to our faith, to our obligations there? Uh, but I was, I'd have to say, I mean, overall, as much as it gets, I think the negative gets highlighted, most of the people have been very good. And most of the people have been very cooperative and, and understanding and, and sacrificial. Yeah, I agree, uh, Father Tim. I, I think your perspective on that is just so wonderful. It's something that can look scary for a moment. And, and, and when you really take a look at it, people that have been sacrificing on behalf of other people, um, you know. We've learned that things could wait. I think we've learned patience as well, more than we would ever want to learn patience. Some, some have learned patience, I'll say. Um, I didn't recognize how impatient I had become. And maybe because of some level of goodness and blessing and prosperity and my life being okay, maybe at some point I personally was growing impatient because I didn't have to wait for certain things as, as long, you know, and things of that nature. Um, but I had to relearn patience and didn't recognize that uh, through some maybe matriculation of blessing or growth or whatever, that subconsciously and unawareingly was losing patience. But I think um, having to wait, having to uh, wait, <laughs> wait for certain things, wait till things get better, and learning that we can wait. I think that self-control is also another learning lesson that we can wait. We can wait for certain things that we once thought was priority. We reshuffled our priority list and found out, no, I can wait a little longer. And um, th that's been very valuable um, spiritual lesson for me. And I think so many others that we can wait. I think in some ways, the, the kind of the virtues that you're, you're talking about, the sort of the patience and the sacrifice have, have both required um, a certain amount of imagination. Uh, I think that's a, there's a that is one of the other sort of um, virtues or attributes that's been kind of cultivated by this pandemic. Um, and I say that in full recognition that the pandemic has impacted different communities in very different ways. You know, for frontline healthcare workers who are there in the COVID wards, there's nothing abstract about the, the, the death that's taking place that they're seeing every right. day there. Right. Um, and for, you know, communities that have been impacted in, you know, that have, that have seen the most death and suffering from COVID, very little imagination is required there because it's family members, friends, people you know. But for, for other communities who haven't, you know, who haven't seen as much of that sort of first person impact, if they're not, if you're not, say, you know, this is, this is not the kind of plague where, where bodies are lined up on the streets for the most part, although in some cities there have been, there have been trailers outside and things, but the American way of death um, is a very sort of institutionalized way of death. And so what that sort of required is people to, is people to read statistics and numbers for people to read first person accounts of people who are on the front lines of this pandemic and really imagine themselves into those circumstances. I think that's some of the empathy that, that's required, you know, um, and for people who haven't seen the, the sort of front lines of, of death in this to be willing to make that kind of costly sacrifice and to have that kind of costly patience that you guys are talking about um, requires sort of thinking yourself into someone else's shoes. I'm, I'm thinking specifically about healthcare workers here, but 
I think that that's something this pandemic has required us of us as well uh, in our in our willingness to respond to it. One of the things I've been thinking about is when you, I love the uh, idea of how do we, it, it is easier to touch, maybe have less patience and touch that dark side, right? That can emerge when we have less patience, when we're tired, exhausted. I don't mean you need a nap, but you're just exhausted all the time. I also think that there's something really important to differentiate and not make sure we're not attributing the entire dark side of human nature um, and kind of using it as a way to um, account for some of the things that have gone on, um, especially in recent years. And, and this is something, and I just say this kind of as, as a rabbi and a member of the Jewish community that, you know, COVID did not lead to what happened in Kaliville. And sometimes it feels like the, the level of stress of COVID, sometimes we can, we can um, there's different kinds of clouds that create darkness and the clouds of depression and mental illness and anxiety um, and anxiety related to the trauma of the pandemic, those are very different clouds than the other storm clouds of hate and racism and anti-Semitism and continued systemic, systemic injustice. And so somewhere through our hope that we find in each other, we have to build even larger reservoirs because sometimes when we feel like we're under siege, we jettison the fight against injustice because we say we just don't have the energy. And so that's maybe the power of God, maybe, maybe the power of, well, let's just say the power of holiness or recognizing that every human being is unique and special. Cause I, I really, I'm very committed to people can find great meaning in life through other lenses than religion. And they can be great warriors for justice, just like folks who are religious. But I think we have to somehow call upon that holiness, that specialness and honor it and find additional reservoirs to not just find our own strength and our own family strength and our congregation, but our communities, but figure out how do we find room for justice? How do we find room to recognize the true darkness that actually has always been here um, and differentiate between that, which maybe anxiety, mental wellness that COVID has definitely stoked. I'm Brian Kaler, the award-winning podcast host of Dangerous Dogma, the authority on questioning authority. If you're a fan of Joel Olstein, Paula White, or John MacArthur, then this is not the show for you. On Dangerous Dogma, we challenge dangerous teachings found in various strands of Christianity while also taking seriously Jesus' own teachings that lead us into dangerous places. Listen wherever you get your podcast or at dogma.wordandway.org. Thank you. Um, we have a, some questions that are from um, the audience, and I, I, I like one of them that it was actually kind of in line with what I wanted to ask all of you guys is, how did this, how did the pandemic change your individual faith life and practices? You know, how did this, what, what lessons did you personally learn or how did this change you? I'm sure all of us have a little bit different experience with that. Well, I know, Father Tim, for me, I, I, it made me fight for people. Um, who were probably silent, didn't know how to fight. Um, I've always tried to be an advocate, always tried to be a voice. I mean, by virtue of leadership, whether it's in secular or the spiritual at the church, um, been always been in a leadership role for some time now and been cognitive, cognitive that my role causes me to speak on behalf of people. Um, but wherever I was more shy and timid, less likely to speak up on things, I found myself trying to get my balance, my perspective straight, so I can speak up on behalf of people who didn't have the courage to do the research, didn't have the courage to um, think far enough because they were frustrated about uh, what's happening. And so I really find myself facing some higher levels of, I think, um, ideals and leadership so I can help other people. And I probably spoke on more issues over the last two years than I have in my whole leadership 10 years so far. Of course, that should be happening. I'm getting older. But no, this pandemic has pushed me for the positive to actually come out of some areas where I can really exhibit courage. And I think I saw that in myself um, doing research, studying, praying, the extra prayers um, so I can be uh, able to articulate some healthy perspective for some people who are really struggling to get balanced. So I think that was one major um, thing for me um, that happened independent. 
Well, for me, I think the, the rhythm of the Jewish year is something so beautiful. I mean, we have Jewish holidays that are all over the place. And so sometimes I think y'all should take on a little Tubishvat, our tree holiday. But there's these regular check-in points for holidays. And so I feel very blessed for that cyclical and that there's always a check-in point. Always, in some ways, some of the obligations that come with Judaism are helpful because they create um, discipline and routine. And But each holiday is different and beautiful in its own way. And so it, it it's helped me personally feel like not so much an amorphous blob of just like blah, right? That there's things that almost I'm required to be joyful and, and just the power of the Sabbath, uh, of Shabbat, the power of the Sabbath has been very possible. And, and the other piece I've connected with some parts of my tradition, like beautiful poetry that just wasn't, not that it wasn't my thing, but it wasn't where I found my greatest source of, of sustenance and, and uh, I came across this poem that I've been thinking about for a couple months now it, by, a, by a friend. Uh, it says, plant in me a future better than this, more hopeful, healthy, safe, and just. Create in me a pure heart, holy power. Renew within me an upright spirit. Rise up, my love, my beautiful one, come away. For here the winter is passing. The downpours are gentling, soon done, and buds are appearing on the earth. And there's going to be more bumps and storms in the future. This, we have storms ahead uh, in many different areas of life, but we have to remember that there is renewal and there is blessing in creation. And for me, that's been something that's been very meaningful. I'd say that for me, that, that question of how has my faith changed in or due to the pandemic, um, I'd say something actually kind of similar to Rabbi in that it's, it's changed my relationship to time. Uh, but the, the answer that came to me was more about the cycle of a day than the cycle of a, of a year. Um, I, I got COVID myself in March of 2020. I got it right around the same time that Tom Hanks did. And so I was an early adopter of lockdown, a little bit before ever, the rest of society went into lockdown. I had to sort of stay by myself in my apartment all the time. And I quickly realized that I was going to need some way of ordering time um, in order to, to just maintain maintain the ability to, to to work and to be sane and to be connected to other people and so really kind of connecting to the rhythms of the day um, and to the and to the daily prayer cycles um, that we have in the in the Christian faith that that go along with that but I think it's probably something pretty similar there's a there's a start and an end to the day and I observe that and in some ways that is that is stuck my patterns of work and rest are healthier than they they had been before this experience um, and so for me, in terms of my own personal faith, that's been the sort of silver lining of the of the pandemic is sort of receiving the day from God at its beginning and, and returning it at its close um, has been has been helpful for me. You know, Father Tim, one more thing about time that just popped in my head is in Judaism, there's a very specific time that you are required to end official mourning period for someone when they have died. It's not to say you're not sad, but it's to say that you return to certain aspects of life in a different way. And so this idea that we can be sad, but we can't stay in that grief place forever. We have to find a way to act, to hope. And that's scary because I have to tell you, there are existential fears that I have as a rabbi and my members have as, as Jews in this world. There are existential fears for our country. And I'm, I have that fear sometimes that there's, maybe there's not enough goodness. There's not enough hope. But I think sometimes when I'm feeling that I can listen to Pastor Joe preach for a little while or Reverend Fox, right, and, or you, and, and I can maybe see hope through your eyes when I'm lagging a little bit. And that, for me, is part of that oneness, that if we share in this collective oneness, that we can have draw strength from one another, we can better return to our braver selves, we can imagine, I mean, that's what prayer is, it's dreaming in some sense, dreaming of the world that could be, having holy conversation with God and with the people sitting next to us, you know, making sure that in our prayer, we find justice, we find hope, we find love, and we're inspired by the loss, even though we've moved out of the grief period, Maybe we're inspired by the loss to to build something and find hope. Those are awesome uh, 
great comments um, and lessons. I, I, I share a little bit of my experience as a priest. And for us, this happened uh, during Lent. And I, I actually have a, a screenshots on my phone of, of Ash Wednesday service, uh, the students packed to the brim, you know, standing in the aisles and everything, turning and shaking hands, giving the sign of peace, you know. And then just a few weeks later, uh, a screenshot from Easter Sunday morning, and it's just me and a camera. So uh, that was a jarring reality is, is yeah. to like, in our, in our, in our faith uh, as Catholics, we're very, there's a lot of touch, you know, the sacraments are very important to us. And that means you can't do that over zoom and you can't do that long distance. You know, you really do need like physical touch. And so it presented a real difficulty for us is how do we continue to do what we do when we're not able to see people? I mean, it was, it's just seemed like the perfect weapon uh, if you wanted to stop us from doing things. Um, so we had to get really creative. Um, and like immediately we, you know, obviously we, just like everybody, we all became televangelists overnight um, doing mass that way. Um, and then we, we had to, something very important for our, our people is confession. And again, that's, you know, it'd be nice if it was Zoom. I'll tell you, I would love to go to confession on Zoom with a priest in uh, like Australia. Um, that I'll never see again. You know, I just turn my camera off or something like that. Um, so I wish we could do that, but we can't, uh, we have to be at least, you know, kind of physically close. So we, we develop ways to do that. And I'm seeing that my brother priests throughout the diocese here, some of them did like drive through, you drove up in your car and you did it that way. We, our maintenance guy built like a screen at a PVC pipe so that people could have privacy. And we, we sat outdoors um, and it was, it was really kind of a neat thing. You know, that was a big change for us. Uh, one thing I, I did learn too was going to, I really appreciate this. When I first got to go to the hospital to anoint somebody who was dying of COVID. And again, this was the thing we couldn't, it wasn't just like we could call them. They really want, again, that touch. It's so important to them. And I was able to get in and they let me in. And I had to gown up and everything and do everything that was necessary. And I went into the room with this man who has this disease that we've all been so afraid of for so long. And, and, and I'm like in the presence of it, it was really wild. And I, and I kind of stayed in there a little longer because I wanted to like be in solidarity with this guy. Not that I wanted to catch it, but what struck me was the nurses that I had to interact with that were helping me get prepared to go into this room. And I realized, man, they're doing this day in and day out. And I wanted to be in solidarity with that a little bit too. Um, to like, wow, these people every day come in here and here I am kind of like, I find myself a little anxious about it. You know, I'm going to do it because it's my duty, but you know, I find myself and here these people are doing this day in and day out. I was just really, uh, I learned something there just at, at the, the level of sacrifice that they are making on a daily basis for us uh, to serve us in this way. Uh, one of the reflections I wanted to share with you all is when this all began, you know, for me, I, I tried to see this as, what does God have for me in this? I can't stop this from happening, and but and I don't necessarily think God made this happen or anything, but I, I do think he has something for me. And what lesson can I learn in this? And for the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I realized right away, like, I wasn't going to take the route. I know there's a lot of funny memes out there, which is another interesting thing that's been a product of this time, all the funny jokes that came out of it. You know, I wasn't going to just sit around and drink every day <laughs> in my pajamas and watch Netflix or whatever. I, I was like, I don't think I'll be able to keep my sanity. Um, I don't think that's a really good way to spend this time. Like, I wanted to seize the opportunity that was presented to me here to like, okay, how am I going to utilize this to the best? Like to study more, to pray more, to exercise more, to take care of myself. Um, and also to like not let it defeat me. And to get up every morning and get dressed and come over to our office, even if I didn't have a lot to do, to even to think and be creative about how I can reach out to parishioners um, through Zoom or phone calls or whatever, and just try to how do we how do we continue to do this and not let this dominate us at the, without without being careless and reckless as well. And another element was to sort of I had to embrace my fear at some point and recognize and allow it to kind of shake me. Like, okay, what am I afraid of here? not just about the disease, but what is it going to do to society and the economy? Like, what does the future look like? It just, it was so, my imagination ran wild at this point. Um, and for me, I had to accept it. Like I had, the only way to overcome anxiety or fear in this situation was to accept 
the possibility that the things that I were afraid of are going to happen and know through my faith that I would be okay, that somehow I would be okay. And that, that there's something bigger than coronavirus. There's something bigger than our economy. There's something bigger than the politics and the divisiveness and everything that's going on here that I can anchor myself into. And I'm grateful for my faith for that reason. I don't know how I would do it otherwise. Um, I don't know if I could personally do it any other way. And so for me, that was one way that it changed me. Um, was I, I'd, I'd be, And at that point, it was a very gracious, a grace-filled moment for me to, to suddenly not be afraid anymore of the future and be ready to accept whatever comes and know that it might not be fun and it may not be what I prefer or what I would choose for myself. But nonetheless, like I'm going to stand and face it, you know. And for me, I, I, the example of Jesus as a Christian is, is that, I mean, he's in, in Gethsemane saying, yes, you know, yes, I'm going to drink of the cup. Um, willing to take on suffering, willing to do whatever it is for, for the greater salvation of all. And, and I think a lot of us have those examples in our life or in our, in our faith tradition, obviously. Well, I know, Rabbi, you do too. And as obviously the others. So those are sort of the, uh, those are my lessons that I learned. Let me see if there's some other questions here. Unless anybody wants to comment on any of that or add to that. Father Tim, actually, I'm hoping people will indulge me just for a moment for kind of a real soulful, heartfelt ask and and just sharing of some of the things that may be going through the heads of of jews and jewish communities and um, this pandemic while it has brought a lot of good things out of people i think sometimes the best it has become a vehicle for anti-semitism for digital anti-semitism in a way that is unprecedented and this goes along with you know, claiming vaccination and virus conspiracy theories and attaching it to Jews and, and Judaism. And it's not going away. And this idea that it's a Jewish plot, and I'm, I'm really asking for myself, but on behalf of the Jewish community, uh, for your continued friendship, but also for you and all of you in your communities to stand up and say something. When you see that flyer from Miami and other places that's been going around, or when you hear it, someone indulging even slightly in one of these things, in stereotypes, uh, they are part of the reason what happened in Colleyville happened, right? Jews control the world. Well, that man internalized that and it intertwined with mental illness. And all of a sudden, that's why he went to a synagogue and digital anti-Semitism is rapidly gaining new adherence all nine of the social media platforms, they're not only carrying it, but they're propagating it. They're not shutting it down. It's traveling faster and it's mutating at a more rapid speed. And this is an existential threat in a different way to Jewish communities than I really believe to anybody else. And so I'm grateful because people have reached out, people have stood up, but we need your help to be vigilant to so we feel like and we know and it's confirmed that this is no matter what your political affiliation that the attempt to erase jews is repeating itself and very viscerally i think jews rabbis jewish leaders we've seen this movie before and so i'm just really heart to heart soul to soul um, some of that hope and that idea that god will hold us there's somewhere it's there in the jewish theology but in the jewish lived experience and historical experience there are deep-seated concerns about our future our children my address is you can find it on white pages right so i just thank you in advance for indulging me but i wanted to share that and make that ask absolutely yeah thank you Thank you. That reminds me actually of what Pastor Joe was saying in response to this question about the sort of need for, for leadership in this moment and speaking out and, and the sort of part of our role as faith leaders is we're, we're, we're telling the story of this moment as it unfolds and, we're, and we're, we're, we're observing and watching ways in which that story is being told that are, that are deeply unhelpful in a lot of ways, especially, um, especially this sort of anti-Semitic way of, of placing blame or weight or the, the, these conspiracy theories about the pandemic. Um, 
And I think you're right, Rabbi, that part of our responsibility is, as faith leaders is to be is to be telling the truth and the true story of, of what's happening here um, in ways that that combat these really, really violent and, and harmful lies and conspiracy theories. Yeah, I was going to speak again to that courage that's necessary to uh, dispose of, you know, lies, untruth, um, partial propaganda, and those type of things that affect people. Um, and things that may not be specifically targeted to you, I think we have to learn that we no longer can wink at it, ignore it, put our heads down at it, allow it on our Facebook timelines, allow that passive discussions to happen about it anymore, because we see um, that this stuff, this, these type of things affect everyone. Um, again, this courage in leadership, um, this courage in humanity has to continue to be spoken, called for, um, and required of all of us. And so, uh, Rabbi Shields, we stand with you um, in, uh, in this fight. Um, and this is what it's all about, is, is hearing the uh, specific sentiments of another person, feeling their pain. Um, and while I can also identify with pain as an African-American, but still respecting the pain of another person, and then to, um, joining in the fight with them. That's what it's all about. It's not saying that um, that's your pain, that's what you all are dealing with, and that's not what we are dealing with. You know, I think we had enough of that. I think, I'm hoping that uh, um, the force of this pandemic has started to merge us, that we got more alike than different in our humanity and our perspective, and even for our will, will um, will to live. And when we talk about fear, there's been unprecedented fears and anxieties, but part of the fear is just that people are trying to express they want to live. They want to survive, right? So part of that is I'm scared, but the truth of the matter is I want to live. And so we see people really fighting for their lives. And I, and I, I joined the fight again um, with Rabbi Shields and Jewish community. We need to stand together um, as brothers and sisters. And we want relationship more than ever now. So as this pandemic, God willing, lifts, uh, I'm thinking about maybe starting a group called the Holy Rollers. If you're into bowling, we'll, we'll get out there. We'll roll a little bit, roll a couple frames. But also we would I personally would love to share in some Sabbath experiences. Uh, our congregation, I know, would love that. And I love going to church whenever I can. So please, I, I welcome invitations and we would be grateful and would love to just build fellowship uh, in this community. So thank you. Really, thank you very much. One more thing, Father Tim, and this pandemic has caused us to push into our creative juices. I've never seen so much creativity come out of humanity because we do want to move forward. We want to progress like Rabbi Shields. He's calling it holy rollers, holy rollers. That's creativity, right? And it came out of pain, but we've seen the will of people to think and strategize and creatively navigate like never before. And that's a positive. Um, there's so much creativity that's still going on. I think we need to highlight that as a positive as well. Absolutely. And I, and I, I'll tell you, I mean, personally, I've never, it's, it's always boggled my mind and it still does today. I don't understand anti-Semitism. I don't, I don't understand racism. I've never, I just don't understand it. Um, I don't, I don't understand how people can <laughs> arrive at the, these, these wild ideas. And, and it's, it's so ridiculous to me that I don't, I tend not to take it seriously or even pay much attention to it. And thankfully I don't really associate with anybody or hear a lot of that sort of stuff. So when I do hear about it, like that it's out there, it's kind of like, it surprises me. Um, but you absolutely you have my support and I know everybody here in my parish. I don't, I, I have always felt a, a kind of a kinship with the Jewish people because I'm a Christian and I feel like there's some connection there. And I just, I just don't understand it. And you have my, my assurance is that I will always stand against anything like that. Any anti-Semitic comments or beliefs and, and any racial, any kind of racial uh, discrimination and beliefs I'm going to always stand against. Absolutely. And I think that's, if that could be something that comes out of this experience is a, is a more unified presence here in our own community. I think that would be a great spiritual lesson um, that we could all uh, be grateful for. Let me see here. There was somebody here, and I want to I want to point this out because we 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 mentioned family and we mentioned these communities and some, but someone did ask uh, here at the beginning, what about those of us who are single and do not live with family? It's been rough. 
Yes. yes. You know, and that's that's a reality. You know, one thing I was very blessed with is we never really had to shut down here as an office. So we kind of formed our little pod about six or seven of us and we trusted each other and we'd come here and eat together and be together and, and we'd have our meetings on Zoom. We were careful and all that, but it was I was grateful that I got to see people every day, even if it was the same handful. But we we really it was a, a beautiful time in that way. Um so I was blessed in that way, but a lot of people don't have that luxury and some people were were alone. Um can any of you give advice or thoughts on that? Like how do you even now if if you're living in a situation where you're kind of lonely um, afraid to go out if you're immunocompromised or there's something that's preventing you like what, what are your advice to them as, as pastors as leaders i feel like i've been talking a whole lot so <laughs> right, yeah. i just got a i just received a text just the other day from um, a, la- a young lady who um experiencing some illnesses and because of the illness i'm also single mother so single mother along with illness, all that helps create additional separation and potentially additional loneliness. Um, And I was able to just talk to her for a while and encourage her. And I think part of just the communication with her, um, again, was not about necessarily solving all her problems, um, because I just can't do that. But one thing I could do is listen and be there for her. Um, and I just think, again, that sensitivity um, that people are experiencing additional anxiety, additional uh, triggers, uh, the PTSD and loneliness. And that's a reality. And so for those who have big crews of family, those who have big circles of connections and social environments, there are people who are almost in a cave. And uh, we have to encourage them um, as much as possible to pick up that phone as well as build relationships. And so I just think just about being sympathetic right now, empathizing with people and um, having those conversations. I probably also had, you know, Father Tim, more phone call conversations with members over the last year or so than ever. Normally, I do a lot of leadership by video and by pulpit teaching ministry, and by email. But over the last year, I have picked up the phone, telephone, and just let people, even when I could text people, because we had already been away enough, hadn't seen each other enough, I said, no, I'm not texting you. I'm calling you today around three o'clock. Please answer the phone. Because just hearing another person's voice, not using text, we're already separated physically that we can't see each other's facial expression, we do thank God for Zoom. We use that as well. But I said, I just we just need to find each other. And if I can continue to push that while we're still in the pandemic, it's not totally over. We got some variants flipping here. But let's be compassionate. Let's pick up the phone. When we have somebody come across our hearts in the middle of the day, pick up that phone, send a text, send an email, and reach out to someone. So... Um, so Father Tim, I am I am single and was was single uh, during the the start of the pandemic when everybody you know everything was total lockdown. You didn't hang out even outside with masks on with other people. And at one point, it got to the point where I had to go buy a soccer ball and just kick it around the soccer field by myself because I needed to have some kind of relationship with a moving object, you know, something that would that would move around of its own accord. And I think that sort of being outdoor, you know, it's, it's gotten way better now. There, there's certainly more opportunities for, for connection, but, um, you know, that sort of being outdoors, any kind of capacity for play is, is I think so important to, to mental health. And that's, that's declined a lot during the pandemic. A lot of the normal ways that we connect to each other through activities that divert us, that allow us to immerse ourselves in something joyful in the company of other human beings, that is so important. So any opportunities that you can find for play matters a lot. Um, and I think also about those little social touches that happen, you know, the, the, I've, I've heard this research done with, with elderly people that those who have regular social contact, even if it's not a big deal, even if you see the same mailman every day, you know, um, that those kinds of things matter and, and masks and isolation have cut us off from one another, but anything that you can do, even in your small daily interactions, with other people to, to, to cultivate and create that sort of human connection, that seeing, that really seeing another person who is, who is coming to your orbit and into your life. Um, 
I think it matters. But I, I, I will say this, that has been one of the, the toughest things in the pandemic is for forcing the people to sort of social isolation that, that comes along with it, um, for sure. I did want us to just return um, briefly, Father Tim, to a point that you made on the on the, the previous question, just about sort of encountering racism and anti-Semitism. I just say one of the, the processes that my congregation is is in the middle of right now, and, and we're we're not we're probably going to set aside Lent as a season to to really dig into this, but is is that sort of, um, it's almost like a Catholic process of examine, you know, a sort of a reflecting and looking inward. We're, we're doing it not as individuals, but as a, as a congregation on, you know, may, may the, the sort of the legacy of, of racism. Um, specifically, Rabbi, we weren't going to include anti-Semitism in this, but I always think that actually that's a thing that Christian churches need to be real careful about. If we think about the Good Friday liturgy, for example, just throw that out there with no explanation. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of blood and vitriol in the words, even in the gospels around Jews and Judaism. So I think being intentional about that too. But I think even, I, I just think there's a little bit of a danger of saying like, you know, I don't, I don't experience or understand racism or anti-Semitism because I think part of what we're in is this culture that's, that's, that those two forces have been part of for so long. And so really taking the opportunity to, to both examine, to examine ourselves and to speak out at this, at the same time uh, is, is I think a really crucial piece of that anti-racism and um, an anti-anti-Semitic work that needs to be done. Yeah. Thank you, Reverend Fox. That's, that's really that that resonates and uh, i think both both things you said are more reason to have an interfaith bowling league but um so uh, but yeah, the, i really set that up well didn't i <laughs> that's, you did, uh, you did. It was that's perfect. brilliant yeah totally realized. um but the, the other point it's maybe a little bit different facet of 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 loneliness um is there's i think there are also i had one congregant said you know rabbi i've really been actually enjoying being alone is that like a problem? I'm almost made to feel guilty that I like being alone. And I said, well, are you lonely? And I said, well, sometimes. Well, what do you do when you're lonely? I said, well, I, I call someone or I, you know, play soccer in a field, whatever it is, right? I mean, and I said, well, then I don't see the problem. I think there's, there is something, a fundamental difference between being alone and being lonely. And we also want to give permission for people to like actually say, you know what, this can be a, an opportunity for me to get comfortable with being alone and realizing that sometimes that can be very refreshing and meaningful. And, and sometimes we can confuse these things. And in a time like this, man, there's a lot more things that are confusing when they weren't before. And so I just wanted to bring out that aspect of that distinction. Yeah, I want to encourage uh, you know, those of you that experience that too, just, just I think what the rabbi is saying there is we could use the word solitude. Um, and there, there have been people in our faith tradition who have sought that out. I mean, the hermits, aeromedical life and going out into the desert and trying to escape the world. And what is it that they find there? And, and there's a there's a fantastic film I, I'd recommend to whomever is feeling this way called um, Integrate Silence. Now, I say it's a fantastic film. I didn't say it was an exciting film or an entertaining film, but it's about a Carthusian monks, um, a monastery in, in Europe that it, it, the movie's very quiet, um, but it shows their life and it's rather long. And, and the first time I watched it with a group of other seminarians, I think I was the only one who did not fall asleep. Um, so it's not entertaining and it's not fun, but it's very fascinating. It's very interesting. But what's, what was, strikes me the most, and there were some clips I watched of it actually at the beginning of the pandemic again, was when they interview some of these guys, the joy in their heart and the joy in their face and it's just mind blowing. How do these people live in this way? Now they live in a community, but they don't really interact much. And in a lot of ways, very similar to what maybe some of us experienced if you were living in a city during the lockdown. And I think it's it should challenge us or at least invite us to there's something, there's a potential out there in solitude that there's, there's somebody out there that you're never alone. And now on, on one hand, even when I'm, I can be in a crowd of people and be alone because no one can ever really understand and penetrate totally down to the core of who I am. But my belief is that God can, and God does know me. And so in that, in that, in the ones, on the one hand, I'm always alone. On the other hand, I'm never alone. Um, because not anybody in my life can ever fully understand me, but on the other hand, God can. And so if you're feeling alone, to, to kind of take courage in that or, or some kind of solace in that, 
that there are people who have actually sought that out and found great joy and happiness and peace there. Um, even without people, it's, it's, it's hard for me to imagine because I love people. And I love being around people. Um, but it gives a lot of promise and hope uh, to what's possible out there for all of us. Well, this has been a joy to, to talk to all of you about this. And it's great to see all of you. And I want to thank Pastor Margaret Fox for joining us. It's great to, to great to meet you. Yes. Could we end with, uh, after you're finished, could we end with just a moment of a short moment of prayer just to close out our time together? Absolutely. Would you be okay leading that? Of course. Yeah, let's do that. Let's have a little prayer and then we'll, we'll call it a day. When the Holy One of Blessing created the first person, the Holy One took them and showed them all the trees of the Garden of Eden. God said, see my works, how beautiful and praiseworthy they are. And everything that I created, I created it for you. Be careful to cherish it, nurture it, take care of it. In that merit, let us nourish our shared tree of life, all of us here and all those on earth, with healing truth and joy and hope to sustain all life. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you to all of you. And thanks for all of you who joined us uh, today in our discussion. Take care to all of you and um, be safe. Thank you. Hey there, it's Vanessa back with you. Let's hear it for the God Squad. I feel more at peace, more calm every time I listen to this crew. And I think it's really helpful to pause for a minute to consider the long view of this pandemic experience, because it's so easy to get wrapped up with the day-to-day challenges that sometimes it's hard to take a bigger perspective. This long view is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, particularly as it relates to our deep divides. If you're a loyal listener who's been with us since the beginning, you've probably, hopefully, noticed that I've been changing and growing as I've been on this bridge building journey with you. In the first phases of the pandemic, I took social distancing and mask wearing very, very seriously. I even had my kids at home for virtual school. And I'm going to be honest with you. I did have some judgments inside my own head about people who took a different approach I'd see them out there just living life like normal, and I'd think, what are they thinking? And also, if I'm being really honest, I'm sure I was a bit jealous too. Well then, after what felt like a long, super long marathon of pandemic lifestyle, I started living my life pretty much like normal again, and I took off the mask a while ago, actually. MPS, I've also now had COVID twice. So now when I walk around my community without a mask, and I see a lot of people that are still masked, I wonder, do they feel about me like I used to feel about those other people? And so I've come to think of all of us on a spectrum. Imagine a long line where one end represents the people who never really changed their lifestyle to begin with, and the other end represents people who may not ever take off a mask again, and the rest of Americans fall somewhere in between. So here I am on that line somewhere, realizing that I was judging people ahead of me on the line who were more relaxed about the pandemic while also hoping that the people more restrictive than me aren't judging me in the same way. Not sure I can really have it both ways, you guys. So I've found myself in a bit of a pickle. I can see this perspective now when I look at the long view. But day to day, especially early on when none of us knew how all this was going to play out, I only had the perspective of what was happening at that moment And of course, I thought my approach to the pandemic was the best one. I mean, I chose it after all. So everyone else is just wrong or not as right as me, at least. Thankfully, now, and thanks to 60 Village Squarecast programs, I've realized that I could have been more open to other perspectives. All right, enough confessions from me today. Promise you won't judge me too harshly for being honest about being too judgy. 
We hope you'll keep learning and growing with us by subscribing to Village Squarecast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And to stay up to date with everything happening at the Village Square, subscribe to our newsletter at villagesquare.us. And while you're there, consider clicking on that donate button. Every little bit helps. And you can become a member for $76 a year or $7 a month. Our members make it possible for us to deliver this great programming to you. So let's give an extra big shout out to our members for believing in democracy and being part of the solution in bridging divides. We couldn't do it without them. We appreciate you listening to this God Squad episode, Spiritual Lessons of a Pandemic. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon. And thanks so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Cast.